Hi, this is Sandy Rios of Sandy Rios 24-7. Did you know that we have an election coming up? 2024 is on us. And, of course, it's not just the presidential race, although that has most of our attention. It's races all over the country that will no doubt have a tremendous effect on which way this nation turns. But in the presidential race, our top runner, our guy that's ahead on the Republican side, uh, is under attack. He's just received his third indictment. Uh, And there's no question that the prosecutor has a bias, the judge has a bias. Uh, For most people, even those that are not fans of Donald Trump, they understand that this something is really rotten here. Uh, As uh, the Justice Department goes after this former president and now presidential candidate front-runner in this race. Now, there are a lot of candidates in this race for president, and they've had reactions to what's happened to President Trump. I just want to give you a taste of what three of them had to say in response to this. First, we have Vivek Ramaswamy. We do not want to become a country where the party in power is able to use banana republic-like tactics to eliminate its political opponents. Yet I'm sad to say that's exactly where we are. The allegations in this indictment fall flat. It is wrong and incorrect and inaccurate to place blame for what happened on January 6th at the feet of Donald Trump. So it tells us something about their character, don't you think? About how they responded. Are they are they competitors? Vivek Ramaswamy is competing for the role of president against Donald Trump, and yet he says what he believes is true. And then we have Asa Hutchinson. Asa, uh, the former governor of Arkansas, had this to say about the indictments. The uh, voters that Donald Trump has misled. And the indictment talks about that he knew that he had not won the election, but he continued to propagate this idea that he had. He misled his voters. He continues to do that today. Insight, insight into character and positions. And then we have former Vice President Pence, the vice president to the former President Donald Trump, uh, also now a competitor in this presidential race for 2024. What did he say? What did he say about these indictments? Let's listen. Let's be clear on this point. It wasn't just that they asked for a pause. Uh, the president uh, specifically asked me and his gaggle of, uh, of crackpot lawyers asked me to literally reject votes, to, which would have resulted in, uh, in the issue being turned over to the House of Representatives and literally chaos would have ensued. All right, so that gives you an idea of three of them. And um, we are going to be talking about the 2024 race, but not the presidential today. There are Senate seats. There are congressional seats. uh, There are moving parts all over. There are really good people stepping up to run, and there are probably some that are not so good stepping up to run. This is when discernment, I just played you three clips of presidential candidates and told you, uh, I advised you, that you can tell a lot about their character from how what they are saying about their opponent in the presidential race. This is the time to sharpen your discernment skills because we're going to have to make some really important choices. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking to a Senate candidate. Uh, it'll be a chance for you to listen. It's the great state of Virginia. They've got a big race coming up there. So we're going to be talking to one of the candidates and let you just listen and discern what you think about him. But first, I want to thank Preborn for making this possible. They are our 
chief sponsor, our first sponsor on this show. And as you know, they provide ultrasounds for girls and women who find themselves in pregnant uh, when it's just not right. Uh, they've, they've had a secret affair or they've had sex outside of marriage. They're too young. It's a family member. You fill in the blank. They can't afford it. They're in school. They just don't want to have that trouble right now in their life. And Preborn comes along and provides an ultrasound. Actually, you provide the ultrasound by your gift of $28. And when these women, women, girls, whatever they are, see their baby for the first time, over half of them say, I cannot do this, can't go through it, just can't. And so if you would like to help that happen, you can go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy and make your most generous donation. All right, remember, of course, that you can call us anytime at 662-821-2040. You might have a comment on the upcoming election, an observation, something you're thinking about, wondering about, and if I can answer it, I will, if, if. Uh, but it'd be great to hear from you. If you, ha- if you want to send an email, it's like smoke signal, right? <laughs> it's kind of like an old-fashioned smoke signal, right? It's sandy at AFR.net, sandy at AFR.net. If you want to listen to the show or recommend that someone who doesn't listen and maybe isn't used to podcasting, doesn't know how to go on, you know, Apple or Spotify or Amazon or even to AFR.net, tell them to go to sandyrios.com. That's a really easy way to listen. So there you go. That's all the stuff for now. So sit back. You're going to be delighted with this guy. That doesn't mean you're going to want to support him for senator. Uh, But I want to introduce you to Scott Parkinson, who's running for Senate in Virginia. And he is my guest next on Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. Well, that's a perfect setup for my next interview because uh, this is someone who is stepping up to do something and say something. Uh, you don't, uh, we have a big election coming in 2024, uh, but it isn't just the presidential election. It's uh, seats for the Senate. It's seats for the House. And I think most of you, certainly those of you listening to me, understand how important it is that we get the right people in place. Just one seat uh, of dominance in the House or the Senate can make the world of difference. And that's why I wanted to bring to your attention someone who has decided uh, to step up and run for Senate. Uh, He's running for Senate in the state of Virginia, the beautiful state of Virginia. Uh, Scott Parkinson is a former congressional staffer. We'll get into that a little bit bit later. He's also, uh, he's been advisor to lots of Republican officials. He is currently the vice president for governmental affairs for the Club for Growth and I've known Scott for a while. I, uh, I I really like him, and I just I really love hearing what he has to say about what's going on in the world. So we're going to do that uh, this morning with him. Scott, thanks for joining me. Well, Sandy, it's my pleasure. 
You know, okay, so you know, the first question everyone asks, and I have to ask it too, is, you know, why why leave your comfortable life with your kids? Because I know you're a family guy. And uh, running for office is all-consuming. It's pressure, pressure, pressure. Plus, it can be actually dangerous in this current environment. Why in the world are you running? <laughs> well, that's the million-dollar question, right? But uh, I'll tell you, at the beginning of covid when we had a political leadership that effectively shut down the economy, shut down schools, shut down churches, shut down the First Amendment, I had a hard time looking at my kids and thinking that I had done enough. I've, for my career, 18 years, really been the guy behind the guy with, with some of our biggest nation's leaders. And uh, for me, I just thought that it was time to, to really put up or shut up and that's why I decided to run for the United States Senate in Virginia against Senator Tim Kaine in 2024. Yeah, we're going to talk about him in a second here. But I want let me put some flesh on this because it's pretty broad to say you're a former congressional staffer. You worked in 15 years uh, as a staffer for uh, Senators John Ensign, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, one of my favorites. I, I interview him all the time, Scott. I just think the world of him. And I like John Ensign, too. Marco Rubio, I used to like him when he first started actually campaigned for him. To, to <laughs> But anyway, uh, you also worked as exec, executive director of the Republican Study Committee, which uh, has been traditionally, historically, um, conservative. It's not a conservative House Freedom Caucus now, but that was then and this is now. Uh, he was also chief of staff to someone everybody recognizes, U.S. Congressman Ron DeSantis, and served as deputy executive director of the DeSantis gubernatorial transition team in Florida. But I want to hasten to add, uh, that doesn't mean that um, he's taken a position in the presidential race. So, But that's that he comes from good people. He works with good people. Um, Tim Kaine has been kind of that mild-mannered senator who's been serving for, what, three decades? Uh, he was Hillary yeah. Clinton's vice presidential running mate in 2016, uh, he's been there a long time, and he is kind of a mild-mannered guy. And he's a like he's an Army veteran, isn't he? A veteran of some kind? I don't believe so. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I might be having concert, uh, confusing him with someone else that ran in Virginia, but I thought that was his big claim to fame. Uh, I'll think of the person in just a second. But he um, he's a, kind of a nice guy, right? But I want to know how he votes. I really can't rattle it yeah. off, but I bet you can. What's his voting record show? Yeah. Well, the voting record shows that he actually has become a total radical, and now he votes with Bernie Sanders and the radical left 94% of the time. Kane has been in office for almost 30 years. He's been on the ballot nine times. He's now running for his third U.S. Senate term, and you know he's a guy that's really lost a lot of energy, and that energy to you know push back against the establishment forces on the progressive left has really left him to be a radical. There is sort of this understanding that Tim Kaine's a blue dog Democrat and he's a good guy, gets up there with jam bands and he plays the harmonica. But I don't think that Virginia can afford 94% of socialism. And I don't care how good of a harmonica player he is. He's an absolute radical. He's voted for all of the Biden agenda. And right now he's actually the deciding vote in the United States Senate when it comes to things like the pistol brace ban that the Biden rule has put forward. You've got tens of millions of people that use these pistol braces, whether they have a disability or they just want more control of the firearm, 
And the Biden administration has issued a rule that says you have to register that pistol brace accessory. And if you don't, you're a felon. And so there was a vote in the United States Senate last month that basically would have undone the Biden rule. And unfortunately, the resolution of disapproval failed 49 to 51. I think that when you have all sorts of issues like the Second Amendment, like the First Amendment, like the Supreme Court justices, they're going to be on the on the ballot in 2024. This is making it a real race that we can win. And I think, obviously, we have a Republican governor now in Virginia, Governor Glenn Youngkin, who's making major investments and giving us a real opportunity by flipping the state and changing our state party and, and all the things that they're doing, get people excited about winning in 2024. You know, I lived in Virginia for a long time, Northern Virginia, since 2001, actually, for, for probably 10 years, maybe 12. It's very different running for office in that corridor. You know, it's not, not like running for Senate in Iowa, running for sen- Senate in Montana, whatever. I, 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 can you kind of help people understand what the special pressures are of running when you, when you live in that corridor? Well, in Virginia, there's a lot of different parochial interests that I think are at stake. Uh, we have a big foreign service and national defense community. Most of the military contractors are in northern Virginia or down in the Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Chesapeake area in the south. And then we have certainly uh, a lot of interests when it comes to highly educated government uh, workers, federal workers, uh, that live in the area and commute into Washington, D.C., or federal agencies that are located in Northern Virginia and sometimes in Maryland. I think that uh, the the voters here are traditionally pretty left of center. But the reality is, and I think you've talked about this on your show before, the radical left has gone so far over that it's basically abandoned a lot of these moderate centrist Democrats that now have no political home. And when it gets to the parents' rights issue, when you think about public safety, when you think about the economic crisis that we're facing, these people need to find a new political home because they're not okay with socialism. They're not okay with the transgender parents' rights problems. Uh, They're not okay with the public safety, illegal immigrants that are coming in to our communities with uh, loads of fentanyl, endangering our families and our children. I think that there's just all sorts of things uh, that are on the table right now that are awakening a new political moment. Uh, In 1984, a lot of people pointed back to Ronald Reagan's success in uh, basically encapsulating the Reagan Democrat. And the Reagan Democrat was around for a while, but they weren't too thrilled about the Bush era. Um, Obviously, they supported Bill Clinton And then when we get to Bush again, you know, they didn't really come around for Bush too much. And certainly they weren't uh, supporters of McCain or Mitt Romney. And then they did come around for this guy named Donald Trump, right? Okay. And about, you you know, this America First agenda. And I think that there's a real opportunity in Virginia right now to talk about America First policies when it comes to public safety. We learned this week that in Illinois, they're trying to allow illegal immigrants to be police officers. Could you imagine getting arrested by somebody that wasn't even a United States citizen? I think that these sorts of things are outrageous, 
We need to have real border security. We've had 7 million people pour across the border in just the last two and a half years under Joe Biden. That is a real threat to our public safety. The fentanyl is coming from China, going to Mexico, and it's not just going to Texas, not just going to Nevada or Arizona. It is coming all across communities in America, including rural Virginia. I think that the drug epidemic is a real, real problem, and we need to solve that immigration crisis by getting strong leadership in the White House with a Republican Senate that finally focuses on border security that ends the immigration crisis. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, one thing that's different, uh, well, it was different about the corridor where you live, D.C. and Virginia and Maryland, is that already in that area, there was a massive amount of immigrants. Many of the, I, you know, I remember going to the DMV and being like the only English-speaking person in the line, and many of them in their native dress, I mean, just fresh off the boat, I'm, you know, figuratively speaking. There's been an overrun of that corridor for a very long time, and it, it creates uh, special concerns. But, uh, Scott, um, I... Look, the, the school board, the issue on transgenderism, uh, on wokeness taught in the public schools has awakened Virginians for sure. Uh, at least it did, and that's what swept uh, Youngkin into, Glenn Youngkin into the uh, governor's seat. But do you feel that that's an ongoing? Is it ongoing? Is the passion still there? Oh, absolutely. First of all, what happened in Loudoun became a national is- issue. And when parents got locked out of school board meetings and arrested for standing up for their children that were raped, when you had uh, mandatory DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion training in Fairfax County, when you've got, you know, the fentanyl overdose that we had at Wakefield High School down here in Arlington, I think all these issues are in the community and parents don't really think about the ideological struggle of the political left when they go and vote, parents are going to vote in the best interest of their kids. I am the school choice candidate of 2024. I've got significant experience working on school choice policy, as well as, you know, in the states, uh, thinking about how we can advance the uh, school choice agenda to ensure that dollars follow the parents and the student and the backpack and not educational institutions. For far too long, uh, the teachers' unions and teachers' associations have put their own interests in employment ahead of the interests of high-quality education with students. And now that education isn't even focused on math and science and reading, right? It, it is a transition toward transgenderism, toward wokeness ideology, towards uh, a reteaching of American history. And I think that you know, the, the, if you need like a lesson in marketing, it should be transitioned toward education. Look at what happened with Bud Light. Look at what happened with a lot of these uh, woke corporations that are really uh, betraying their investors. Um, there's so much happening in the parents' rights movement here in Northern Virginia, and it's all connected, I think, with that public safety issue that I was stressing earlier. So as a parent, I've got four kids, right? My daughter was... Uh, the oldest one was in public school at the beginning of COVID. They shut down the schools. She does online learning, and she's a pretty high achiever, so she did fine with her grades, right? But when they bring the kids back, they said, we have to take their temperature. They have to wear a mask, right? It felt like we were 
entering Germany, not a you know public school system in the United States of America. And then when you know kids started hearing about vaccines, it became sort of a, a bullying proposition here that you know if you weren't vaccinated, you couldn't sit with certain kids at at lunch because <laughs> their parents were so far left that they said, oh not safe for you. And so it became a bullying issue. And you know what? My daughter, she wanted to get vaccinated, but as her parent, I had to look out in her best interest and say, sweetie, I know it's tough at school not being vaccinated, but you're not getting it. It's not safe for you. And so we stood up as parents. Ultimately, I pulled my daughter out of public school and she's now in private school. That's a decision that I had to make. And it wasn't easy given the friendships and relationships that my daughter had. But you know what? Kids are resilient. And that's what they've shown us through the 2020 pandemic all the way up to today is that they thrive in new situations as long as they have good mentorship, people that love them, that are around them, and a foundation, I think, of the church. So that's what my family's been focused on. And and thankfully for us, the new situation has turned out fantastic with our private school. Well, there's another there's another dimension of what you just said. We don't need to get on this sidetrack, but um, you just example really good parenting, Scott, because I think that uh, what parents, younger parents today are doing is listening to what their kids want and then doing everything they can to provide, to do what the child wants. And people have forgotten the art, the responsibility, the, the uh, task that they have as a parent to say no, to say, no, you're on the wrong track. You know, it, it's even, it's gotten to the extreme on the transgender issue where a, your child wishes he were a boy. It's becoming epidemic. You know, the st- statistics of children wanting to change their gender have, gender have skyrocketed. And that's just simply, that's not because they naturally want that. It's because it's been pushed to them through TikTok and media. So, that's really good parenting, and it's really hard to go against the grain, Scott, like with phones and all of that. So hats off to you for doing that. Well, thanks. You know, there's one other thing I was kind of thinking about in that context is, you know, we have to look out for parents. There's all this sexualization of children. Uh, we've seen it on the HBO show, I think it was, called Cuties. You basically see kids that are being sexualized through Instagram accounts, uh, that become public and basically, uh, you know, streamlined for predators to, to monitor children. Uh, you see all sorts of things like that. And when it comes to big tech, you have to, as a parent, say, I'm going to step in and protect my kid. I'm not going to allow them to either have a cell phone or, you know, full access to the computer. I'm not going to allow them to access pornography. I'm not going to allow, allow them to access other adult contact that is just, you know, uh, pretty gruesome. You know, there's all sorts of things that are on the Internet that are not appropriate for children. So as parents, we have a responsibility just to step in and take control of our own households. Um, We had a a terrible situation in Washington, D.C. about a month ago where one of the Afghani refugees uh, who served courageously alongside men and women of the U.S. military uh, as a translator after the Biden uh, um, withdrawal from Afghanistan, he immigrated legally to Alexandria. This guy had four, four children that all ranged in the same ages of my kids, from 13 down to, um, I think, about a year old. And he, he worked two jobs. He was a tow truck driver and a Lyft driver. And he was on a late-night shift for Lyft, 
and around midnight, he was killed by four black young children. And I don't think that that's a crisis of the children in our community. I think that it's a crisis of the parents or the guardians that need to know where those kids are in the middle of the night. And it is just a a tragedy how those kids now are going to be facing murder charges. And uh, instead of, you know, having the chance to to make it out of Washington, D.C. and be productive members of a society. Yeah. Yes. It's just, yes. Yes to all of that. All right. Now, let's let's back up a little bit. The map, the Senate map for 2024, as I understand it, is kind of a hard one for Democrats. Can you explain that? Why is it hard for them? Well, there's a lot of seats that are in play for uh, Democrats defending their own incumbents. And this happened last cycle for Republicans, right? We had a lot of seats that we needed to protect. For 2024, there's really two big Republican priorities. We want to make sure Ted Cruz wins Texas and that Rick Scott wins Florida. But in addition to that, the Senate map is very, very good for Republicans to go on offense. There's three big red states, Montana, West Virginia, and Ohio, that the National Republican Senatorial Committee is targeting to help flip the majority. Then, in addition to that, we have real opportunities like Virginia, where Governor Youngkin, our Republican, has a 57% approval rating and only a 32% disapproval. So he's got a net 25% approval rating in what's supposed to be a purple state. I think Virginia is a great opportunity to flip. Then you have other states like Nevada and Arizona and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania that are all vulnerable Democrats. There's also an open race in Michigan with Debbie Stabenow stepping away. These are states that Trump did well in in 2016 and lost some close races in 2020. But now that we're winning back governor's mansions in places like Virginia, I think that the uh, political infrastructure that's in place, the investment that people are making, like the Spirit of Virginia and the um, Secure Your Vote Virginia initiative by Governor Yunkin, to get people out there and, and to vote either in person early or to do mail-in absentee ballot ballot. Uh, votes, really just playing by the rules that are out there and ensuring that we run up the score as much as we can. And then on Election Day, uh, as, as somebody that's a, a, a normal voter, I vote in every election, right? Then you show up and you try to pull a couple of your neighbors to the polls. You help drive the elderly to get there. You got to make sure that we, we are taking advantage of the system that is in place and getting as many people to vote red as possible. Um, you know, there's a little controversy. I just did a whole show, uh, recently on the chances of there being a free and fair election in 2024. That's a huge concern for me, Scott. I know it is for you now that you're running, but it will affect all of us, of course. I'm really skeptical, and I know there's this move, and I think President Trump is endorsing it now, to, for early voting and, and vote and ballot harvesting. I'm just curious to know what you think about that. You've been running. Look, one of the ways that, that I know you is that I've heard you through the years uh, recruit candidates and uh, bring really fine candidates to the table, uh, conservatives all over the all over the country. So you've got a good eye for this stuff. You understand. Uh, so, but you also fully understand the corruption of the 2020 election and 2022 from my perspective too. Uh, so what are the chances? What what are the chances that Republicans could actually win? 
in 2024? And how do you feel about ballot harvesting and uh, early voting? It's a great question. You know, I think ballot harvesting, uh, you know, a lot of people have a hard time handing their ballot off to a complete stranger, right? But if you have real organization and the ballot harvesting is being conducted in a legal fashion by people in your community that you know, I think people will feel good about that. So it's not like you should be going and knocking on complete strangers' doors when you're helping harvest ballots, because there's just not going to be a lot of trust in that system. There's not a lot of trust with the drop boxes, right? And that's why I mentioned voting early in person is one option that people can do. Um, I am obviously deeply skeptical of uh, free and fair elections in America to the extent that uh, there's no fraud. Right. We know that there are political actors out there that cheat and bend the rules. And when I look at 2020, I think about the unconstitutional actions that states took in the in the disguise of the coronavirus pandemic. But they changed their voter rules without the legislature, you know, through executive orders. And then they ran up the score based on uh, those rules. And obviously, President Trump and the the Trump campaign tried to get standing to challenge many of those states and the vote results. But we have to live with what happened. And you have to be mindful going forward of making sure that that stuff doesn't happen again. Um, I think that in Virginia, I'm I'm feeling really good about the uh, steps that Governor Youngkin is doing to clean up the voter rolls. We just took off about 19,000 people in Virginia that were inaccurate off the voter rolls, that makes differences in these really, really close elections. Um, You know, we obviously want to make sure that in states like Nevada, that the voter rolls there get cleaned up too, because they were mailing ballots to every single registered voter. Uh, You think about the reforms that states like Georgia have tried to take. Think about what's going on in North Carolina and Pennsylvania. Um, We know what the rules are. We know what happened last time. There's the saying, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, let's not get fooled here. Let's take advantage of the rules that are in place and as Republicans use our logic to try to win these races. Uh, Scott, uh, you know, we have a a little while before this election, but honestly, it's coming much more quickly than we can even imagine. And I want to make a statement just in general. uh, I used to encourage this a lot when I was in Chicago, too, and on on this mic also. Uh, you can help candidates from different states. You can't vote for them, but you can actually help them. You can even fly in and do, uh, you know, legwork and all of that. Uh, so it is possible if you see someone in a different state that you don't have someone uh, decent in your own state and you want to uh, help someone that you think is good, you can do that, uh, just for the record. But, Scott, if they're interested in helping you, how could they do that? What kind of help do you need? Yeah, well, the first thing you can do is check out my website, scottparkinson.com. You can sign up for our emails. You can sign up to volunteer. And, of course, you can make political contributions. The, the radical left has, has taken advantage of an online system called Act Blue, and they funnel millions and millions of dollars to targeted Senate races, to the presidential race, all through Act Blue with these so-called low-dollar donors. The Republicans have tried to match that with our new online program called Win Red. 
but when red doesn't uh, politically advocate and solicit its list the same way that Act Blue does. And I think that, you know, obviously in the general election, there will be a little bit of a wave of money coming in, but you need to have the early investments because when candidates reserve time for television or radio or when they're sending out mail, the rates can all get more expensive as the market drives up. So investing early money is huge for candidates like me. Obviously, I've done a a decent job raising money so far as a candidate, but every single dollar counts. I've got some donors that have given me a dollar and some that have uh, contributed the federal maximum of 13200 for a married couple. And so I think that everybody just needs to look themselves in the mirror and say, can I make a small investment in the political lane with money that's not even tax deductible during an economic crisis? It's difficult for people. And I understand that now having to be the candidate that's asking for the money, but money makes a huge difference for candidates. And if you guys can chip in for all the targeted races across America for Republican conservative candidates, it's going to give us that better of a chance to win in 2024. And Scott, there are no restrictions, again, of giving from a different state. They don't have to be in Virginia to give to you or someone else in a different state, correct? Correct. I mean, for my campaign, I think I've got contributions from about 45 different states already. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, if you're interested, if you like what you're hearing and you want to look into it a little bit more, go to scottparkinson.com, scottparkinson.com. And I'm sure we'll we'll have a chance to chat again before all this uh, unfolds. But meanwhile, uh, be safe, uh, Scott. I mean, that's become such a cliche. But when you are campaigning, you're on the road all the time. You've got a family. It's a huge sacrifice. And so it, whatever happens, I, I um, want to honor that sacrifice that you're making. You are standing up and saying something and doing something. So thank you very much. Scott Parkinson, ladies and gentlemen. Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Okay, I'm thinking, this is Sandy Rios, by the way, that you might have a comment about our conversation with Scott Parkinson. Uh, you know, or some input, or maybe there's a race somewhere around you that you want to bring our attention to, some some candidate that you think is uh, notable, uh, and you can do that by calling us at 662-821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. You can email us at sandy at afr.net. That's sandy at afr.net. You can listen to the podcast. Well, You're listening to the podcast, so you have a method. But if you want to tell someone else how to listen, you might recommend sandyrios.com. That's an easy way to listen. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, they can go to afr.net online and listen. See, there's all kinds of ways. So uh, that's how you can do that. And I also uh, want to add that we have a brand new sponsor that makes all of this possible. And that is, by the way, Christian Health Ministries. Christian Health Ministries. It's chministries.org. Why am I telling you that? Because it's enrollment time for them. And why am I telling you that? Because I actually think this might be helpful to many of you. I recognize that healthcare costs have just gone off the charts and that some people are still struggling to find decent care for a reasonable price. 
And I think you might find some really good prices you should just compare with Christian Health Ministries. It's chministries.org. That's chministries.org. And by the way, you know, you can choose your own doctor. You can choose your own hospital. You do not have to go into a network. You can have a plan that covers everything. You can have a plan that doesn't cover very much. It depends on what suits your needs. If you're a really young person, generally, you can use lighter coverage. If you're older, you might need more more coverage. Or you might want to supplement your insurance. I don't know. There's any number of combinations, but I really do think this is something you should check out if you are unsure that your current health care provision, whatever it is, is adequate. Uh, you can go to chministries.org, chministries.org, and tell them that Sandy sent you. We have a website which tells you a little bit more information about stuff uh, that you might find interesting. And you can also listen to the show very easily by going to sandyrios.com. If you like Facebook, you can find us on Sandy Rios 24-7. And I think that's everything that I need to tell you. You know, one thing that I am really concerned about uh, for the upcoming election, I've said this to you, is I'm concerned about election integrity. How in the world can we be sure that we will have fair and free voting? I, I'm, I'm a skeptic. I recognize that, you know, if you say there were, was a problem in 2020, it's the big lie. Oh, you can't say that. Uh, and people get in trouble for saying that. But some of us just are so, you know, ridiculous. We actually still believe in speaking the truth. We saw what happened the election night of 2020. No one can tell me that was normal. That was not normal. When they stopped counting and shut down, uh, we were watching. We've watched every year since I was 10 years old. I've watched the returns on the presidential election, and they keep coming in until the winner is announced. And so when they shut down counting, we knew. If you don't know anything else, uh, just rest assured that was weird. Okay, so we saw what happened. They found votes all kinds of places. And the one thing you for sure cannot say now, you can't say this. You can talk about ballot harvesting. You can talk about overvoting, cleaning the voting rolls. You can admit there might be a problem with that. But you cannot say that those voting machines had a problem. You can't say that because if you do say that, you're going to be in trouble. And that's the truth. That's not an overstatement. So I just thought it was really interesting when this came across my, well, my inbox not long ago. This is Judy Woodruff of PBS. And this is a report from her show uh, about Georgia. And this is right before the 2020 election. It's really something. Now, remember, Georgia was one of those states that was a disaster. It's the state over which we expect Donald Trump to be also indicted on because he had some conversation, which they've edited, with Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State. Um, so it's ironic that Judy Woodruff of PBS, who dares not speak this now, gave a report on what's happening in Georgia. We're going to hear just a little bit of it. Let's listen. Protecting the voting process from outside interference is a high priority this election season. In his latest report, Miles O'Brien looks at some of the latest technology being used in Georgia and whether it provides a stronger defense against tampering than the traditional paper ballot. It's part of our ongoing Leading Edge series on science and innovation. 
In Georgia, early voting turnout is high. The presidential race is a toss-up, and both Senate seats are in play. So naturally, the political world is nervously watching what voters here will do, while in the world of computer science, they are tensely tracking what the voting machines will do. Georgia's kind of a petri dish. Alex Halderman is a professor of computer science at the University of Michigan. There's a lot more we have to learn about Georgia's election system, and that's going to help inform how to better secure elections, not just in Georgia in November, but across the country for years to come. In 2019, Georgia bought the devices from a Canadian company called Dominion Voting Systems. They replaced paperless machines like these, made by a now-defunct company called Diebold Election Systems. A federal judge forced the state to scrap the discredited devices. Election security activist Marilyn Marks was part of the lawsuit that triggered the change. But for her, ballot-marking devices, now used widely in 14 states, are not the ideal remedy. We need paper records that are marked by the voter with the voters on hand, where we know that was recorded the way that the voter wanted it recorded. So she and the other plaintiffs took aim at the new voting machines. The lawsuit came into sharp focus after their chaotic debut in the June primary. The poll pads took as long as 30 hours to download the voter database, displayed the wrong races, and would randomly shut down. There's more to that report, but I just wanted you to get a taste of that. That's Judy Woodruff on PBS talking about the problem with the voter machines in Georgia. Well, what happened in Georgia became legendary, uh, and, and that's the reason. Again, we'll be talking about this more, but I wanted you to hear that report because a couple of days before the 2020 election, it was okay. It was okay to report that there were problems with the voting machines, but now it's the big lie. Oh, don't you dare say that, but we're daring to say it. We have an election coming up, and I personally am very, very concerned that we're going to have the same, same, same old thing. Uh, I've asked my husband, my sweetheart, who votes with me now. We go to the polling place together, don't we, honey? We sure do. We've actually done poll watching together. Remember that? Yes, we, we hovered did. around the Democratic uh, voting place <laughs> and uh, had a few conversations mm -hmm. uh, safely mm -hmm. away from, you know, across, not, not too close. We were within the law. Well, what, what do you think about this whole thing of this 2024 20, election, Bruce, and uh, just the, the candidates that are up? Uh, what's at stake here from your perspective? Well, again, I think the, the most important thing is election integrity because that should be paramount to anybody that votes, whether you're left, right, middle. It doesn't matter. You want your vote counted, and you want the accurate person chosen. Whoever gets the most votes, they should win. And, you know, we have so many ways to vote early. Early voting, absentee voting, uh, get somebody to ballot harvest for you, you name it. Uh, this idea now that we're in, in a month of voting is just insane to me. It just cries out for uh, to be manipulated because you know, the the votes start coming in, and you know where where the candidates stand at a certain point, how many votes they have. And if you want to try to overtake that candidate, you know how many votes you need to overtake that candidate. So it, now you have places to, quote-unquote, look 
oh, we can, we didn't look over here. There's more votes over here. Yeah. I mean, find it, more votes. Yeah, find <laughs> more votes. It's, it's, it's rife for that. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I put things into, quote unquote, like the cloud, I get a little nervous. I want, I want a record. I want something I can hold in my hand. Something you signed something and you I submitted. Yeah. Not something that goes up into we don't know where. Yeah. And the problem is we know that these technology companies are not on the side of conservatives. They're not down the middle. They are hard, hard left. And anything that is going to benefit the left, these companies will be all in for doing. You know, well, there are a lot of tells to me that they're – so I think of Dominion. I'm, see, I'm not supposed to talk about Dominion. They sued everybody. They've sued, you know, Sidney Powell, who would be – Sidney was just a fierce warrior, and I've never seen anyone silence her. But they sued her, sued her, sued her. They've sued all the networks. Uh, they threatened others. They threatened Newsmax. That's why Newsmax didn't talk about election fraud or machines. Many of them are f- scared to death. If there was – if this is a legitimate con- con- uh, company with legitimate machines, wouldn't they want their? Wouldn't they want to their message to be, "We are. If there was any problem, we're going to get to the bottom of it. That won't happen again. We've got this and this and this." But that's not what they do. They intimidate people into subjection and into saying, agreeing, it's a big lie. It, I think we have a problem there, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. I we just I just had a very long conversation with. Cleta Mitchell, and she'll be my guest soon. Cleta is really the nation's guru on this stuff. Uh, and she was down in Georgia, by the way, speaking of that state, following what was happening. So we know there was malfeasance. There just was. There just was. I'm sorry. I'm going to repeat myself from just about every day that I've been on the air with this podcast. The earth is really round. It still is round. I know they want us to say it's flat, but it is not flat. It's round. And many of us will not recant. We will not recant. We know what we saw. We know what's true. We may not know all the details, but uh, we're not going to be forced to say something that's false. Anything else about uh, the 2024 election coming up, honey? Anything on your mind? Well, just uh, as we always say, it's we, we seem to say this every election now, but it's probably the most important election that we are going to have in our lifetime because this country is really splitting. And it's no longer about party. It's about ideology for many people. And regardless of who they have to hurt, who they have to put down, whatever, they, whatever it takes, the ideology, I believe, on the left is win at all costs, whether it be fair or unfair. And they have this, this feeling. It's, it's really hubris that they are right and the right is wrong. And that they are, the, the ends will justify the means. Uh, whatever it takes, it's okay as long as their ideology triumphs. All right. Well, so that's, uh, that's all we can do for today in regard to the election. Just uh, make sure you pay attention. Don't give up yet. I just don't give up yet. It's not hopeless. Uh, I, I'm still optimistic that we can, lots of efforts are being made to clean up voter rolls by Judicial Watch, by uh, by J. Christian Adams and his group, by Cleta Mitchell, by people. Just lots of people are doing some great things. And so we got to do our part until it's too late. Till we can't do anything else, 
We got to do something. So for, before we say goodbye, I want to thank my sponsors. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. And every day they save 200 babies' lives. Every day. Think about that. So if you would like to help, it's $28 to pay for an ultrasound to dissuade a mom from going through with an abortion. It's $28. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. And I want to thank also Christian Healthcare Ministries. It's the longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry. It's been around for over 40 years. It's the, the guru. It's the daddy of all these uh, different Christian health share companies. Uh, Christians can help pray and pay for each other's medical bills. Uh, that's the way it works. And if they're coming up on enrollment season, if you make the switch today, you can start saving. I think you would save, and I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. So go to chministries.org. That's chministries.org. And tell them that Sandy sent you. All right. Well, thanks for listening to today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.